I wanted to look at this film as my chance to do something unconventional and different. I'm in film school. Mm. I got a few months left here. Let me just shoot something that maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's unconventional to a fault. But it'll be cathartic for me because I, I did it and I can say I did it. My name is West Gibbons and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with Davi Pena. Davi is in pre-production for his senior thesis film, Eyes of Idolin, which is a surreal thriller about love, loss, and the horrors of addiction. We discussed the origin of this script, the lessons he's learned from previous films, and how he's tackling this intimate story. There's a link to his fundraising campaign in the description of this episode. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 48 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Davi, welcome back. Thank you. It's you good to be back. You are in one of the uh, small groups of people that have been back on the podcast. Awesome. <laughs> so it's special. Yeah, it's good to have you back. It's like some sort of cult. Yeah, exactly. This is cool. <laughs> yeah, cult's the right word for it, for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Um, you are here to talk about your senior thesis film, which is Eyes of Idolin. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you've been on the podcast before for a different film called The Fray. Correct. Which was... A super cool, super big, super awesome project. And uh, before we get into Idolin, I want to ask, how's the fray doing? Dude, let's, the get, f- let's get an update on the fray. The fray is doing great. You know, yeah. it's it's been going through a festival run. Yeah, uh, we submitted it to a bunch of festivals. Got okay. denied from a bunch of festivals, right? As per usual. Yeah. Um, but we got into Big Apple Film Festival, which was the first film festival I had ever traveled into. Which oh, it cool. was kind of a like CB film festival. Mm-hmm. Definitely more of a C film festival. Right. It was all right. But then we got into the Nifty Film Festival, National Film Festival for nice. Talented Youth. And they've got really great curation. They had some, okay. a few uh, Oscar-nominated mm-hmm. short films that went there. And wow. they have a bunch of great notable filmmakers that mm-hmm. come out of there and that are alumni from that uh, festival. Yeah. So recently went there. Now we're waiting to hear back from Atlanta. Okay. Um, as well as like all the bigger ones, which we're going to hear about mm. uh, in the coming months. But you know, I'm I'm really kind of just done with the festival run. I don't really right. care how it does in the festivals. I'm right. just I'm really looking forward to releasing it to the world and just yeah. having everyone being able to see the film and appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Do you it. have any idea of like when that would be? My of course, estimate, it depends on if you yeah. get in. But. I mean, if if I don't get into Atlanta Film Festival, which I'll yeah. know by January or February. Okay. Um, I plan on releasing the short film around March, but okay. it's still kind of up in the air. I got to talk to right. my producer about that. So, um, gotcha. but I definitely see it being released uh, sometime next year. So. Nice. Are you thinking mm-hmm. Vimeo or YouTube? Um, definitely thinking Vimeo. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Or maybe both. Right. Yeah. You know, might as well. Because fuck it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> might as well. Yeah. What was yeah. your experience like going to a film festival, like representing a film? That's a pretty cool thing to get to do, even if it's a small right, festival. Right. You know? It was cool. It was a really interesting experience. It was the first time I had ever represented one of my own bodies of work at mm-hmm. a festival. So it was really cool. Uh, there's a bunch of other filmmakers there that are just as excited as you are. A lot of cool networking opportunities. Um, right. But the best part about these festivals is just, you know, it's it's like they're celebrations of film. Right. Um, regardless if your film is good or bad, you go there mm-hmm. and, and everyone is so passionate and um, 
uh, supportive of one mm-hmm. another's work. It's just an right. awesome environment. So whenever I'm able to be a part of that, I think it's just yeah, fantastic. That's why the Savannah Film Festival is oh yeah, it's incredible, awesome. Yeah, yeah. exactly, so good. Yeah, and especially the access that we get to it as film students right. is incredible. It's crazy. Um, have people been receiving it well? Like, what have people been saying to you after screenings? You know, it's interesting. Everyone seems to love it. Okay. Um, but programmers don't seem to love it mm. so much. Interesting. Um, because of its length, you think? No, I don't think it's because of its length. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at the film from a certain standpoint, you know, you can kind of get lost in the action and the production value and all that. So I think right. some of what the actual story is about kind of goes over some people's heads and it might just mm. read as like, oh, this is another wannabe action short or mm. something along those lines. Okay. Whereas it's really supposed to be a character study on mm-hmm. Ellis, who's the father character that right. has to go through what he goes through and how that affects him psychologically. Right. I kind of just think that goes over people's heads. But for the most part, I mean, everyone watches the film and they're totally enamored by what we pulled off. And it's right. been, I've gotten overwhelmingly positive right. feedback. I haven't had much negative feedback, which nice. has been, has been awesome. Yeah. It's been really <laughs> that's, awesome. That's the best way for it to go. <laughs> that's um, so true. Well, uh, like I said, you were here to talk about Eyes of Eidolon, which is right. a surreal psychological thriller, right. very different style from what the fray is about. Yeah. Can you give a quick log line about Eyes of Eidolon and just a quick like, description of it? So we follow the story of a musician named Alexander, who is a recovering heroin addict who recently lost his fiance to an overdose. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both overdosed on heroin as they were both addicted to the substance. Um, but he survived and she didn't. And he's haunted by the guilt of uh, surrounding her with that sort of those drugs and the mm-hmm. environment that he was prevalent in. And um, he secludes himself into isolation amongst the confines of a lake house cabin in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere. Um, and one day, the Eidolon which is a ghost apparition specter of his past fiance, uh, makes her presence known as she begins to torment him with questions of her untimely death. Yeah. And in turn, it descends him into a, uh, he dis- he goes on to a slow descent into madness. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a surreal psychological thriller slash horror. Um, definitely <laughs> different from the fray, but still another yeah. dark one because I guess right. something's fucked up with me. Um, <laughs> I don't do many happy stories, but right. um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's one of those films that's experimental in regards to the visual language we're trying to tackle with the mm-hmm. film. So I'm just, I'm really excited to yeah. get cranking on the next one. Yeah. I want to talk about the writing process and like mm-hmm. the timeline of it. So were you conceptualizing this idea like while you were in production for The Fray? No, this, um, it's interesting. I'm actually collaborating with two other writers on this oh, one. Oh, okay. Um, my friend Vinny, who's mm. the composer for The Fray, hmm. he approached me about this project during the end of this past summer with this idea of a musician who's going crazy in sort of this cabin fever-esque mm-hmm. uh, film. Um, that's also a dialogue on hmm. depression and addiction. Um, and it's changed so much really? okay. from that after I was able to get my hands on it. Um, and now it's morphed into this story about addiction, of course, still, mm-hmm. but also loss and love. Right. And it's a horror story and it's told up against this horror thriller, thriller landscape. Um, but really, at the core of the film, it has something very beautiful and, and profound to say, in my opinion. The writing process has been 
difficult for this really? one. Really? Yeah, Why it's is been that? the hardest Just thing. Just because the language um, of it or the subject matter? I mean, the subject matter too, but it's my first time working with other writers. Yeah. Um, so originally, you know, Vinny and I were working on it and then we went off to school and mm-hmm. we kind of lost touch a little bit and I had my hands on the project more so, so I was able to kind of put in my own input more so than him. Hmm. Um, and then I brought my friend Jack on to originally just critique and, and give it a read and, and he spat out some ideas and he ended yeah. up kind of helping me morph this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it is just me staying up really late at night and like trying to put myself into this character's head right. and, and trying to see an empathetic point of view while also trying to not fucking go crazy because he, right well that's what i was gonna know, ask does that wear down on you it does it does yeah. because you know the things that this character alexander had to go through you know having someone you love so much lose their life to a substance you inherently put them on mm. um that's got to be one of the most difficult things ever in my opinion so kind of just like getting into that headspace and making something that avoids tropes and also mm-hmm. creating an interesting story while also thinking about the visual language while also thinking about how can I make this just weird, you know, but mm-hmm. weird with intention to be weird, not right. just weird to be weird. Right. Um, so it's just been like frustrating at times, uh, yeah. but I, I broke through and uh, I'm happy with the direction the film is going mm-hmm. in now. And, um, it's a cathartic experience right. when you finally get through. Because the hardest part is just like getting the words that are in your mm-hmm. head onto the paper. Because right. you know, like, okay, I want this film to look like this. I see this film being this. Um, but then articulating that is a whole yeah. other thing. And something that I found is that you have to remind yourself that not everyone knows what you're thinking. So in your head, you right. can have this huge vision for the movie. But if it's not in the script, then people just won't get it. And they'll say, like, well, what about this? And you're like, oh, no, we're going to do this. Exactly. And they're like, well, you didn't say exactly. that. <laughs> you know, that, that's, I think, um, one of the biggest, that's your job as a director. And it's right. the hardest part about being a director is communicating your vision and articulating your vision in the most detail-oriented yeah. way possible to the nitty-gritty. And that's not to say, you know, your ideas are always going to be implemented and put through. You got to take other people's ideas and and collaborate with them. But as a director, you're a purveyor of tone and mood. And that tone and mood that you're trying to purvey becomes cohesive through all the little things like costume design and mm-hmm. and, and production design and cinematography and your visual language and the mm-hmm. writing and the acting. And um, you have to be able to articulate all those things that you see for right. each of those divisions under right. the grand umbrella of filmmaking. Right. Um, and it's hard. It's, it's really hard and it can be frustrating. But yeah. when you do it and you do it right, it's an awesome thing. Yeah. And I think it, it would be less awesome if it was easy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's good if it that was it's easy, hard. it'd be like, I can do this, but so can yada, yada, yada. Exactly. You know? So yeah. um, it's definitely a craft that you got to practice and work at just as mm-hmm. you would with anything else. Right. Um, but yeah. So whenever your friend came to you with this idea, like, was the style and all that stuff baked in? Like, what was the process of discovering all of that? Yeah, I mean, we both knew, me and Vinny both knew that we wanted to create something surreal. Something that was a bit ambiguous, Hmm. if you Is that because you hadn't done that before? Yeah, I mean, he had put me on to some of David Lynch's films. Mm -hmm. And I just recently started watching some of Tarkovsky. And both of those filmmakers really just flip the idea of convention on its head. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something that we wanted to do with this film was we wanted to just 
for lack of a better term, fuck shit up, you know? We just really wanted to see how weird we can get. But like I said, getting weird with intention and, right. and, and taking something dark and trying to make it beautiful in a way, but mm -hmm. still having it be dark and very unsettling. Um, so yeah, I guess you could say that the overall look we had in mind was baked in, but I think it's mm -hmm. because we were on the same page with how we saw this story needing to be told. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's good that y'all were on the same page, but you were talking about how like you've, this is your first time like working with co-writers. Right. I know that can cause a lot of tension just because like, you know, what if you have an idea for a scene and another writer has a different exactly. idea for a scene. So exactly. like, what are the issues that you've faced whenever y'all disagree on stuff? And like, how do right. you get over that other than just getting over it? Right. You um, so, you know, it's happened a few times where we'll be mapping out the story with like a, a beat sheet. And then, you know, after a while, like, hey, fuck the beat sheet. We need to start writing this right. thing and we'll figure it out. So, you know, we'll be writing. And if we come across a disagreement with the way we feel a scene needs to be told, uh, we'll immediately just, like, put both of our egos aside and just, like, come up with new ideas. Like, just, like, right. stupid ones, good ones, and just, like... Right. And eventually we find the one. Um, so it's like you have a little writer's room going. You have a little writer's... We have a little writer's room going on. It's much easier when you're sitting physically face-to-face yeah. -face with someone yeah. rather than over Skype. That's why I ended up just being able to just do more of the work on my own. Right. Because just Vinny's time schedule... Vinny's schedule just didn't line up with mine and, like... Mm -hmm. That's just how it went. But over the summer, we'd have a bunch of writing workshops and, you know, you run into those issues. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, you know, that's going to happen throughout the process. So right. it's really just about like, okay, let's take a step back. Mm -hmm. Let's breathe. Um, and let's just come up with some new ideas if this right. isn't working. And then if those ideas don't work, let's revisit what we were originally going to do. And maybe right. we find out that that shit worked out better than what right. we're putting onto the table now. Um, so it's just like a back and forth battle yeah. with your ideas and yeah. figuring out what works and finding the right puzzle piece to mm -hmm. put into the rest of the puzzle. Right. So to find out that stuff doesn't work, are you like sending scripts out to friends that aren't the writers to get their feedback? Mm, um, no, not okay. really. I, I don't really like to show any of my writing until I feel like the script is in a good place. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at least until I have like the first draft done because right. you're still molding the story and like no one's going to know the story as good as mm -hmm. you at that point until, you know, when you have a finished piece that you can present to someone, then it's good to get input because then you have something to build off of. But when you're mm -hmm. still kind of building your story, you don't want to take too much influence because you may tend to stray away from what you were originally trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, so the only people that I ever show my writing to is really, really, really close friends right. slash collaborators of mine that I've whose feedback I really appreciate. Right. Um, but I don't send it off to anybody. Okay. Ever. So when did you get a locked version of the script? <laughs> Does that exist um, yet? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, no, it doesn't. Um, I I locked my first draft. I want to say three weeks ago. Okay. Um, three or four weeks ago. It's weird because, you know, I've been in pre-production for this since the beginning of the quarter, right. but I haven't had a script to do pre-production. I just knew that oh, I needed to, like, right, yeah. get into gears. And yeah. uh, I started conceptualizing a lot and, like, making mm -hmm. my lookbook and, and my art package and coming up with a visual language for the film, which yeah. I later collaborated with Kai, who's my DP. Mm -hmm. um, 
but yeah, I, I locked my first draft like three weeks ago, and then I mm. locked a second draft about two weeks ago, and I'm still changing a bunch of shit. So gotcha. it's been a weird process <laughs> for this yeah. one. Yeah. Do you have any idea how many drafts you're going to do? I don't. I, uh-huh. I, I don't like to think of the amount of drafts that I'm going to do. Like mm-hmm. if I feel like my third draft is strong, that's usually what I'll settle with. Right. Um, of course, I'll make changes and like you'll get different drafts, so forth, you know, yeah. until you get to production. But as far as like, you know, locking my scripts, I just lock it whenever I feel like it's in a right. good place. And if right. it takes all the way up till draft 155 million, <laughs> then like, fuck it. Right. But that's usually not the case. Right. Okay. So when are you shooting next quarter? We are shooting weekend four January. So it's January 31st to February 2nd. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So um, you're like a little over a month out from yeah which is terrifying or no two months two two and a half i forgot about december yeah two and a half half um i'm but i'm sure it'll feel like a week once oh it's gonna feel like a week i mean i can't (laughs) the weird thing about film is you're in pre-production for something awaiting to go into production so your brain is in 100 percent running mode and then that thing comes and then you're thinking about post-production when post-production comes you're already thinking about the next project and until you before you know it a whole year has passed by in your life right. and you're like where the fuck did the time right. go right. <laughs> you know? so right. it's, i could see why you could put yourself in an early grave with like directing <laughs> two films a year because right yeah it's a yeah. lot so as you're nearing closer to um production what parts of of the style of the film and everything are you like still collaborating and figuring out? I mean, the visual language of the film is pretty set in stone. Okay. I, I have a very clear vision of of what I want for that. I've been collaborating with Kai, who was also uh, the DP on the fray. Mm-hmm. And we just have an awesome fucking working relationship. Like mm-hmm. beyond a collaborator, he's like one of my best friends. He's mm-hmm. like a brother to me. So when we get down to the nitty gritty with coming up with a visual language for our film, it's a very cathartic experience in that we are always, almost always on the same page with things. Hmm. I'll show him what I have in mind. For the most part, he'll agree. He'll add his flair and his taste. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, we'll just collaborate naturally as the process goes. And that's Mm -hmm. how it goes. Oh, that's how it will go with the shot list and storyboards and such. Um, but as far as like, you know, we have our intended color palette in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we know what types of shots we want. We know what type of lighting we want. We Mm -hmm. know, you know, this is going to be a more stagnant film. We're going to tell it in four, three as a part, as opposed to 16, nine. Interesting. We're shooting it on film again. So this is another 16 millimeter one, uh, which is going to be fun. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, as far as the visual language goes, mm-hmm. we um, we're striving, and this may sound a little pretentious, mm-hmm. but we're striving to treat every frame uh, like it's a painting. You know, right. we both saw the lighthouse, and that's something that I think we both walked away from is that each frame had something to say, and each frame was a painting within itself. So, in coming up with the lookbook and the look of this film, mm-hmm. we've been referencing a, a variety of painters that we kind of want to pull okay. from as far as lighting and color and tone huh. because when you start to look at each frame as a painting you, you can there's a lot of emotional impact that you get right. from just looking at painting so if you can treat a frame like that yeah uh, it can really do a lot i think to the overall right. emotional impacts of the film okay well let's general. dive into the visual language because yeah. i know that's something that obviously that you think about a lot and mm-hmm. spend a lot of time on so First off, why 4-3? And explain, like, for those who may not know 4-3, like, that just means the aspect ratio. So 4-3 is, like, the old, like, box TVs, you know. It's, it's like, near a square. A lot of older films did that because that's just what they had. 
why give yourself a smaller frame? I think a large part of why I wanted to shoot in 4.3 is because so much of what's going on in this character's journey is in his own head. Mm. And like when you kind of box someone in, that's what it's like. Everything's a bit more claustrophobic. And also, you know, when you have such a closed frame, your line of vision is, your eyes are that much more... Uh, directed towards whatever's in frame. Right. So we really just wanted to, I guess, reinforce that idea of like, yeah. this is this is what you're seeing. You're in his head. And um, I think the compositions that you can get from shooting in 4.3, at least for me, mm. I've found it to be somewhat unsettling when things are a little bit too symmetrical. And I like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it just overall added to the emotional value we were trying to go for and also Alexander's perspective. He's mm-hmm. alone in this in this house and he's by himself and it's a rather small house. So right. it's kind of just like layering in that feeling of claustrophobia and right. and loneliness. Okay. Um and also four three it's just like I love the aesthetic of that. Like right. it just it's it's cool. And it might become a trope pretty soon because mm-hmm. you know everyone's fucking doing it. But um <laughs> I just I I like four three right. So that's also right. another another reason. So was that your idea or Kai's idea? That was actually my idea. Your... Yeah, okay. that's something gotcha. I had seen this film being. I always saw this film being shot on film and being told in four three aspect ratio. Hmm. Um, and of course, you know, when I say film to Kai, he's like, Yo, "Let's go, <laughs> let's shoot film," and we just go, and it's full right. steam ahead. Right. Um, Did you have to sell him on four three? No. He, okay. he was totally on board. That's what I'm saying. Like, a lot yeah. of the things that I come up with, um, he, we're just, like, on the same wavelength. Right. And I think that's the most important part when yeah. you find a DP. You yeah, know, for sure. on that wavelength. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about production design because mm-hmm. I saw um, some some of your, your director's book from Senior One, and it's obviously very surreal, <laughs> very, <laughs> yeah. like, psychological thriller, like you said. Was that part of the style also figured out early on or did you collaborate a lot with your production designer to well, get there it's actually funny we don't have a production designer. really interesting yeah well are I you shot, like actively looking for one i am shout out to anyone <laughs> that wants to hop on my project um <laughs> um i i shot a proof of concept trailer teaser mm-hmm. more or less uh and lila was my pd and she was phenomenal mm-hmm. I recommend lila for anyone that doesn't know who she is mm-hmm. she's great um <laughs> but she wasn't available for the dates we had to sh- oh. change our dates because they were conflicting and she wasn't available okay um so now we're kind of just you know up in the air looking we have we have some people in mind but um, right no one's set in stone yet. So right okay. now, you know, as far as production design goes, I haven't delved too much into it. I have a rough idea. Okay. Or, well, I have an, a pretty clear idea of what I want, but nothing has been explored yet from another perspective. So, right. you know, when I do get a production designer, I'll say, hey, this is what I want, which is a dilapidated house yeah. um, that's dressed uh, as if a musician lived in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they'll kind of, I'll trust them depending on who I go with and I'll let them branch off and kind of explore their own perspectives with the space and and the character Mm -hmm. and how that affects the space Mm -hmm. and um yeah I mean that's how we did it with the phrase so right I I haven't really gotten too in depth with the production design because I would like to kind of save that for my collaborators but I do have an idea right uh of what I want the entire space to look like it's pretty minimalistic for the most part I mean this whole film takes place within pretty much this one room mm, cool. inside the house. That's so, cool. yeah. 
That's very cool. Was that also inspired by The Lighthouse as well? No, actually, yeah. you know, we wrote this whole film, like all this stuff that came out from the film, and as far as like, you know, isolated mm. person, cabin fever, uh, one location, blah, 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 surreal, psychological horror thriller. That all, <laughs> that all came way before. I didn't even know The Lighthouse was a thing. And then oh, I really? see The Lighthouse, I'm like, I got to see this shit. Yeah. <laughs> this looks right up my alley. Yeah. Um, but I saw it and it's so different than this one. So I think mm. it serves as great inspiration and reference in some ways, but right. it's, you know, it's, it's so different. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So pre-production is a very stressful process. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You're figuring out stuff and you're like coming into the beginning of pre-production with like huge ambitions, but then maybe you figure out like, oh, we can't do this or whatever or you're like right. trying to get a horse like with the fray <laughs> right <laughs> <Get the> horse <laughs> i still get shit for that <laughs> um so what has been the biggest challenge of pre-production biggest challenge of pre getting fucking crew because there's 80 films shooting next quarter what the yeah. hell scad that's been the biggest fucking issue it's just yeah. getting like you know because i got my dp i got some like a small producing team right um but yeah, it's just been getting crew. But something that I've learned uh, over the past year is like the fray was a micro scale studio production sort mm -hmm. of production. And then after that, I shot a music video called Love You A Lot, which was super, super happy, mm -hmm. super lovey dovey anti fray. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a genre in itself. <laughs> and but the, the crew for that was so run down and 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 small and mm. i've been on some productions after that where it was smaller and maybe it's the people that i work with and and the kind of energy we all have and how we're on the same page but i've learned that you don't you don't need a big crew and, and yeah money to I, make I a enjoy good film. a small crew a small crew there's something special about that uh the set experience is intimate mm -hmm. and you know, for the Idolin teaser, which which you all will see December first, because that's when this Kickstarter drops. Oh yeah, <clears throat> uh, December first. So um, plug for that teaser. <laughs> we shot that thing with a crew of nine people, and it it came out great in my yeah. opinion. You know, it it looks really good, and it just went to show me like Davi, you don't need fifty people on your yeah. crew to make something good. So yeah. don't freak out just lock your department heads make sure right. you trust them and if they need like an assistant like you can get away with it, it that's not always the case of course right yeah. but yeah. for smaller films like this um it's important to not overcomplicate shit you know right so is it refreshing to go into a smaller project it is it yeah. is because the fray was so big um, yeah and i loved it like i, I, I right. love doing big projects but this is a breath of fresh air right. being able to just work with a smaller crew and like a more self-contained story, mm -hmm. so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be unique as far as the set experience, right? You know, working with such a a rundown crew and right. and making it work, but right. we'll make it work. Hell yeah! Nevertheless, that's I mean that's what all of filmmaking is at every stage, whether you're indie all the way up to the studio. You make you it work. You just make it work. <laughs> make it work. Exactly. So. Once you are getting on set and you have like, you know, all your crew locked and everything, is there something that you're anticipating is going to be a huge challenge once you're in production? Yes. Okay. But I'd I love can't to. say what it is okay. because it will definitely spoil some oh, things. Oh, okay. No worries. What I will say is that we have some intense special effects makeup that's being done. Hmm. Okay. And I come from a special effects makeup background. Uh, so I have like 
stupid high standards with that shit. So <laughs> I'm just making sure like it's what it needs to be. Right. That's really the only challenge I can see. I mean, there's a few other right. logistical things, but yeah, it, I mean, nothing extraordinary. Nothing. Once you build a civilization, you, everything else <laughs> is. I'm just joking. That was, it was super pretentious. Um, no, I'm, I, <laughs> I love that. I didn't build it. That was Jenna Tooley <laughs> and Calvin Herp's people. Uh, they're, once they're you good. build a civilization, <laughs> once you build a civilization, no, there's definitely. I mean, honestly, this this project, as far as subject matter, has been so much harder than the fray in so many yeah. so many ways. Um, I, I think the only cathartic experience about this project is going to be getting out the set and just fucking shooting it, right. because uh, all the preliminary work for it has been quite intense and, and right. self depriving, self deprivating. Right. Um, so, like you were saying earlier, like. You know, you really had to get in a not great space to work on the writing. Right. And you, you know, you spoke about how the story is very dark and not upbeat. It's not a Pixar film. A Pixar <laughs> film? Nope. Not a Disney flick. Yeah, exactly. So why put yourself through this? Why go through all of this process when it's hard and it wears you down and it's stressful? Why are you making this film? I just feel like... You know, these are the stories that I'm I'm drawn to, and unfortunately, you know, addiction, especially to heroin, it's a huge problem all across the country. Right. But especially where I'm from, Long Island, there's mm. so many people that are doing it. And recently, a good friend of mine uh, lost his brother to heroin. Oh no! And it was so sad to hear about because yeah. so many people in the community loved him. And when I heard about that, it kind of pushed me to tell this story in a way because it's important to see that these these perspectives of these addicts and, right. and, and such like they're people mm -hmm. and they go through extreme hardships and, and addiction is no joke. It's a really hard thing right. to deal with and it, it haunts you. Um, so I guess kind of just like purveying that point of view through Alexander's character was something that I felt like I needed to do. But also at the same time, like I wanted to look at this film as my chance to do something unconventional and different. I'm in film school I got a few months left here. Right. Let me just shoot something that maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, maybe it's unconventional to a fault, but it'll be cathartic for me because I, I did it and I can say I mm -hmm. did it. And it's just my, I'm using this as an opportunity to kind of just experiment and spearhead something and right. and not be worried about kind of just falling into conventions of, of mm -hmm. films like it's okay to get weird it's okay to right. experiment with your visual language and your structure right um, so it's kind of just this isn't an experimental film but it's experimental in the approach mm, okay interesting um do you feel an overwhelming pressure to portray the story honestly and realistically with um the personal connection i do i feel like there's a real duty there because yeah it's sensitive subject matter. Yeah, when you and you start... don't want to contribute to the negative media about exactly. it. Exactly. And you also just, you know, you want to be respectful when you're delving into right. a realm like that. Because um, it's really easy to have bad taste with some things. Like, mm. for example, I saw a short film about rape. And it was extremely distasteful. Right. And it did not, it rubs you the wrong way, right. not in a way that's, that's so common. I really, you know, that. so it's like you got to be careful when you start telling stories about really dark things yeah. such as drug addiction or yada, yada, yada. You know, you just you need to approach it with taste and you need mm -hmm. to have it 
be able to resonate with people. Even if they can relate to it, they relate to it because you told it in an empathetic point of view with taste. Um, So, yeah, I do feel like I have a duty to tell this story in the most, I don't want to say realistic, but um, realistic point of view. Like, right really humanizing all these people because yeah. i think i think uh the whole idea of like a junkie and a drug addict is absolutely fucking absurd there's so many things that everyone's addicted to they just got addicted to the wrong things mm. um so yeah i feel i definitely feel a responsibility especially with the connection you know uh, and right. i have family too that have gotten involved with that substance and it's mm. just so so sad um yeah. so i do feel a duty and i think that's part of the reason why i'm motivated to tell this story specifically mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of a bunch of other reasons you know? right so in getting in that headspace of writing and everything was that process just you sitting in your room and staring at a wall and it was me sitting at a screen not typing anything, thinking, getting up, lying on my bed, thinking for like an hour, falling asleep, getting back up, sitting back at the computer, typing down a page, going to sleep. It was just a really long process. Yeah. Like, uh, it was hard, you know, because yeah. you're just trying to pump. You, you don't want to just pump shit out of yourself. Mm-hmm. You really, at least for me, like, I really need to, for this film, in specifically, I was really trying to think about, like, what am I trying to get across what am I trying to say what's the point of it all um and how do I like tell this story in a very respectful manner Mm -hmm. while also making it dark and intriguing and gripping um so you know it's it it was hard you Mm -hmm. know just a lot of a lot of time just looking at a blank screen uh not knowing what the fuck to do right um but that's a part of the process so yeah um so what did you learn from working on The Fray and that music video that you are taking with you and is helping you a lot in working on your senior thesis film? Oh, I learned so much. Um, I mean, once you build a civilization. I mean, once you build a civilization, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely, I learned every, I learned a lot of things from everything that I work on. Yeah. Um, but I think what I learned from The Fray the most that's affecting my process this time is get it, trying to communicate to your audience what it is that's in your head it's mm-hmm. a very difficult thing to do right i don't know if i succeeded with doing that with the fray um because sometimes when i discuss the film with people they just they don't get the they don't understand the themes that i was trying to right. communicate so sometimes with directors there's a disconnect between the director and the audience that's the scariest part of directing is like you're trying to say all this shit right and people aren't receiving it so I guess like just me trying to be a bit more diligent with my approach in communicating my ideas and thoughts to an audience through mm-hmm. visual language and structure and story. Um, but also, you know, just how to run a fucking production, you know? Right. It's, it's at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It's about your organizational skills and, right. and um, being able to set deadlines for yourself and communicating with people mm-hmm. and, and always being respectful and having a great attitude. The worst thing... Mm-hmm. Is working with people that have bad attitudes yeah. because it's like be happy. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds so counterintuitive, but no, but you know, it's so like those are the people that you never want to work with. Again. Exactly, and it's <laughs> like you know if you're doing film, you chose to do this because of some reason. So like go yeah. hard with it. You know, this right. is one of those things where it's like you're not going to law school because you ran out of options, don't know what to do with your mm-hmm. life. You're going to film school because. You want to make films, so mm. make films and do it with a smile on your face because that's the only way films get made is with like really, really, really strong perseverance and passion. Yeah, that's why like it blows my mind to see someone working on a movie and they're just like 
shrugging their way through it. Because yeah, it's like, I mean, what? Why would you deal with all of this? And this yeah. isn't like your life's goal. Exactly. So. Exactly. And you know, some people they discover that maybe film right. is not for them, and, right. and that's fine. Yeah. But um, you're here, so do what you got to do. Yeah. You know? Exactly. You talked about how the lighthouse was like a source of inspiration for you mm -hmm. in the writing process. Um, what other films did you reference whenever you're trying to hone in on the uh, surreal and like experimental approach? A big film, which is totally, totally different film than this one, was um, a film called Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Um, as well as The Machinist with Christian Bale mm -hmm. and um, Antichrist mm. by Lars von Trier. Trier. Mm. Um, those three films directly influenced me a lot, but also uh, uh, Andre Tarkovsky's film, Nostalgia, hmm. uh, was a huge inspiration as far as the visual look because right. it's so uh, desaturated and hmm. grainy and it just brought what I was looking for to the table as far as visual style. Right. Um, so those films specifically, gotcha. but um, Lighthouse, yeah, that did, that, that struck some chords right. with me. Right, right. So, um, did you reference Requiem for a Dream at all? I actually didn't. Interesting. I didn't. That's I didn't, just one I of the ones that I was thinking. Right. That's... I didn't reference any films that were directly about mm. drugs. Did you not want to be influenced by other I didn't people's... want to be... I didn't... Well, actually, that's a fucking lie. Train spotting. <laughs> okay. Train spotting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, I didn't go out looking for mm -hmm. films that had uh, stories around addicts or drug mm -hmm. addicts. Was that a conscious decision or was did that just not happen? I think it it was an unconscious decision because okay. I already felt like I had people in my life that were connected to it. Like, right. like drugs in a very real dark way. I mean, of course, you know, I did I did research on right. on, on heroin addicts and, and addiction and sh and such, but I never went out to go watch films about okay. them. Well, I want to dive into your Kickstarter campaign mm -hmm. um, because that is going to be how you fund this film. Yep. <laughs> so, yep, it is. Um, link in the description. The first link in the description will be the Kickstarter campaign for Eyes of Idolin. Hey. Um, first off, real quick, uh, why Kickstarter and not other platforms? Because that's the same question I asked Seth Cunningham, who was just on the podcast. Because, again, like I said in that episode, Kickstarter, it's all or nothing. If you don't reach your goal, you don't reach your goal. Right. So why did y'all choose that platform? I chose Kickstarter because it just it's reputable, right? You know? There's a, there's a it has a good reputation, mm -hmm. um, and also you know if I'm gonna be asking for money from people, I realized like I don't want to half-ass it. Like I'm either gonna get all I'm gonna get the money and I'm gonna make it, and that's fair. Yeah. You know I'll make this thing, but if I don't get all the funds. You'll get your money back, and I think that incentivizes people yeah. to donate because it's like, okay, if they don't make their goal, like, I'm gonna get my money back. Right. Um, so I think there's kind of just that added like right element, um, and also I've been wanting to kind of launch a Kickstarter for a long time, mm -hmm. so I think I'm just this is a good opportunity. I'm not asking for two. The budget's pretty small, mm -hmm. six thousand seven hundred. Oh, um, I would have expected more just because of the film, the mm -hmm. cost of shooting on film. Yeah. Um. Film isn't as expensive as most people would think. It's mm -hmm. it's expensive, right? But it's not like super expensive. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's just as it's just the same as like you choosing to rent certain lenses from a lens house or right. or, or, or uh, decks or monitors or right. whatever other toys you want to play with on a film set. <laughs> it, it's the same. It just depends on where you want to allocate your money, right? Um, and for what reasons. Okay, so how has it been like? 
creating the look for the Kickstarter. It's been fun. Mm -hmm. I recently just got started putting it together with a few of my producers. But I mean, I've been developing a bunch of assets and posters and marketing right. material myself on my own for it, which has been really fun. I've been doing it for the Kickstarter specifically. Mm -hmm. So it's been fun. Mm -hmm. I, I love doing stuff like that, like right. doing graphic work and coming up with posters and diagrams right. and stuff. I think it's... To me, it's fun. It's a part of the process. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the uh, super cool, super fun perks that people can get if they back the film? Um, right now, we're looking at a lot of uh, digital content, T-shirts, mm -hmm. um, uh, visits to set, uh, behind mm -hmm. the scenes featurettes, just gotcha. you know, a lot of that jargon, but also right. um, some some full-size posters, um, little knickknacks. We're right. still figuring it out because that's always the hardest part. It's like, all right, well, how do we say thank you for right. donating to my stupid little short film? <laughs> how do we make um, it worth it? Yeah. How do we make it worth it? So yeah. we're still figuring things out, um, but yeah. So, I mean, obviously you talked about how you have to pay for film costs and everything, but how would the Kickstarter really, really help the film to get made other than i mean obviously you need money to make right. the movie but outside of that how impactful would it be to the production i mean it's super important you know we have to treat our crew right that's the biggest right. part you know you don't want to treat your crew you don't want to you don't want to mistreat your crew is right. what i'm trying to say there's been a lot of productions where like people might not be fed mm-hmm people might not have access to bathrooms. Mm. Um, people might not have access to transportation, right. lodging. Yeah. Um, all these factors, if we're shooting in the cold, like we need to get mm -hmm. um, heat lamps or, or, or and tents and so yeah. forth. And it's just about, you know, making the set experience comfortable for all these people that are donating their time to you for free. Right. So Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. So it's going towards... Uh, you know, production costs as far as like running the logistics of the set, but also production design and, and mm. paying actors and, and film. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty self-contained script, so right. it doesn't call for too much money. You know, right. we don't need to build a whole settlement in a fighting arena this time. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit more feasible. Right. But yeah, I mean, we, we just need to get the funds so we can right. run this set the way it needs to be run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you planning on shooting in the Savannah area? We were shooting in Claxton, Georgia, which is about okay. an hour out. Okay. And then we're going to be shooting some pickups in Calhoun, Georgia, which is about five hours out. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Will that just be like kind of skeleton crew? That'll be like four, three people. It might be just me and Kai, honestly. <laughs> right. Me, Kai, and like my actors. Right. Um, Because it's so, so small. But right. uh, yeah. Well, um, like I said, the first link in the description will be the uh, Eyes of Adolin Kickstarter. So definitely go check that out and support the film because... Um, Donating your money is probably the most direct way you can support filmmaking. Support so, it, please. I'm yeah, so, so definitely support that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the casting process because with a script of this subject matter that is so hard, like you need an actor that can go there, right. you know. So have you begun casting or like what is your thought process? In... We casted the main character. Right? We casted the main character. Okay, so what was that process like? Really easy. Really? <laughs> really wow, easy. hell yeah. Um, that's, that's rare. <laughs> all the actors that I, I never really put out uh, casting calls yeah. ever. I usually look for short films or people that have worked with certain actors whose gotcha. work I'm a fan of. Okay. 
to see what actors I think would be best fit for the role, and then I might have them audition, or I'll speak mm-hmm. with them, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a table read. That's what I did with The Fray. You know, I, right. Mark, the guy that played Vigo, I just reached out to him on Facebook and pitched him this project. Um, so that's what it was like with Russell, who plays Alexander, Russell Shealy. I first met him for a film I DP'd called Dentiste. Mm-hmm. Kai directed it, I DP'd, and he played a father in that film. Hmm. And he's a very intelligent guy. I mean, gotcha. he's a smart man, and he's a good actor, and he mm-hmm. really cares about his craft and he's capable of going to those places i saw it i saw that he was capable of going to those Mm -hmm. places when we were doing dentiste so when i was writing the script i was almost writing it around him because i always had him Mm. in mind interesting so i know what he can pull off and and when i brought him on board for the teaser and locked him in i mean he killed it like he was so perfect the most important thing with actors is uh the subtle nuances that they're able to pull off with their face to communicate emotion and he does a very very good job gotcha. of doing that um and it's also a great thing when you're directing actors and you don't really have to direct them you know? <laughs> yeah they're yeah. they they are it's it's its own craft and like mm-hmm. you give your actor what they need and and that's it. right so what are some of the materials that you're going to give him other than obviously the script right i mean what i do with my actors most of the time if not all the time is i'll meet with them either on the phone or mm-hmm. in person like a day before and I'll I'll be talking with them um, and I'll give them their backstory, I'll give them their motivation and we'll kind of just like talk about subtle nuances with the character and what we see with the character and start to flesh things out prior to set. Mm. And then when we get onto set, it's just directing. It's just like subtly right. like, okay, not too much to the right, not mm-hmm. too much to the left, like this way and they're they're figuring out their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do most of my directing with my actors before we ever step onto set. So mm-hmm. then when we step onto set, it's like execution, like you know your motivations, right. you know your backstory. Right. Um, of course, like you don't ever want to overbear an actor with too much. Mm-hmm. Actors are explorers mm-hmm. of the human condition, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And you never want to put in an explorer's backpack what they don't need. You want to give them the essentials. Mm. You want to give them food, water, rope, fire starters, whatever. Right. You don't want to put a five-ton brick in their backpack and, like, right. and like 50 pairs of shoes and, like, a mm. bunch of clothes and, right. and shit. You want to give them what they what they need so they mm. can survive and, and do what they got to do. Right. Same way with actors. You want to give them what they need and give them room to create and work on mm. their own because they are artists in their own right. respective rights. Um, and I know it can be difficult because, you know, sometimes artists, uh, not artists, actors that student films get aren't necessarily, maybe they're capable, but most of the time they're not capable of doing that or they're still learning the craft or mm-hmm. the director might have a hard time trusting them to kind of right. do their own thing. But yeah, with me, I, I just try and find the right people beforehand mm-hmm. and give them their backstory. And when we get onto set, it's just like little minor tweaks right. and, and making them remember why they're in the state of being that they're in right, that moment. Right. Does it like scare you at all that shooting on film means that you like can't watch playback? Um, no, not at all. Really? Okay. I mean I just trust Kai so much right. and we'll do rehearsals and I'll mm-hmm. always see frame and like, you know, we still get a monitor up for the most part. Right. If we can. But right. when we can't, you know, I'll check the frame through the viewfinder and mm. I'll trust Kai and, and we'll just go you know gotcha. it's just like when you shoot on film it's just you got to be prepared you got to you right. got to know what you want and you can't right. hesitate with shit as much as 
shooting on digital. Right. Absolutely. There's no coverage. Have you found that like that idea of having to have your shit in order like has made you a better director? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, the, the fray was. It wasn't the first film I directed, but it was the first film I directed. As in that, like, I have I had always done, like, music videos and short mm. films and, like, short little commercials here and there. But I had never tackled a project so large. Mm. And then, you know, on top of it being, like, such a large production with right. money going into it and people behind me, we decided to fucking shoot it on a film. And I had never directed a film, shot a film before. Right. So it was a lot of, like, pre-production work. We shot the film in pre-production essentially mm. we storyboarded it to a t we shot listed yeah. it to a t we everything we shot the whole film in pre-production so then mm. when we got onto set we knew exactly what we want it it helped me because i could just go in there with my actors and block things out and if we came up with new ideas on the fly like that was good that was right. okay because we were building it off of something right so it's everything you know there's a sense of continuity between everything right. so it definitely made me a better director just being diligent with what you're trying to say and what mm -hmm. you're trying to get um i think everyone that wants to direct should shoot at least one film mm. on film because it changes the process a right lot. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, we got a question submitted on Instagram. Uh, if you want to follow the Tungsten Originals account on Instagram, you very much should. It's just at Tungsten Originals. And uh, yeah, every time I have a new guest, I put up a story saying like, what questions should I ask? So if you want to ask the next guest a question, then you know, you should follow us. Um, <laughs> we got a question submitted from Ryan Sullivan, mm -hmm. Sully, as he is uh, referred to, who is a friend of the show. He's been on the podcast. Um, who is a fantastic sound designer. Amazing. He wanted me to ask you about your philosophy of sound design and film and how you want it to work in your films. So what is that philosophy? I mean, I always say that sound design is 90% of the experience. Mm -hmm. Music is the cousin of film. You know, mm -hmm. they are so intertwined with one another because they're both these elements that we used to perceive emotion right you know you listen to music you get an emotional response you watch something you get an emotional response but mm. when it's a visual and something auditorial it can do something really profound mm. so my philosophy with is he asking with this project or just overall with sound uh let's say both i just think sound you can do a lot of interesting things as far as conveying mood and tone yeah. you know like maybe for this moment, we add a slow riser and a, a, mm -hmm. a drone or something to make a, a character's presence more ominous mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, um, maybe some wind chimes in the mm -hmm. distance or something abstract to kind of create a dreamy, flowy sequence. Or, you know, you can just, you can invoke a lot of different emotions and right. feelings just with like, really subtle sounds and aside from sound design in that aspect you know something interesting sully did for this teaser that we just shot was he he created the uh the score but he also did some sound design and the only sounds you hear are our character alexander writing in his journal mm -hmm. and the sound of a paddle of of, of uh, yeah a paddle hitting the water as a boat mm -hmm. is being rowed and those two sounds bring the film to life in a way that I can't explain. Hmm. Like we fade in from black to this man being rowed in on a boat and you just hear the water puddling and, hmm. and, and it just, it just brings it to life. It's the hmm. really, really little details like that, that bring your scenes to life. That's why sound design is so important. If you have hmm. a shitty film 
uh, it can be made good with sound. Right. But if you have a good film and you have shitty sound, well, now your good film is a shitty film. <laughs> right. So sound does a lot. Right. Um, so I guess my philosophy with sound is just it's it's just as important as every other element. Every mm -hmm. element within making your film, uh, it needs to be just as important as the other. There can't be a hierarchy. Everyone right. thinks that there's like a hierarchy. Like yeah. cinematography goes above music and, mm -hmm. and goes above sound and mm -hmm. like – no, mm -hmm. that's not how it works. It's right. it's important. Cinematography is extremely important, but mm -hmm. so is your sound design. That's just as important as right. well as like how important your story is and how important right. like the performances from your actors are and mm -hmm. how important the color palette for you. It's all right. important and you need to treat every element as important as the other. Right. Um, so my, my philosophy with sound is it's just, it's one of the most important things with right. film. Right. Yeah. So um, is, is Sully doing the sound design for uh, Eyes of Idolin? He is. Of course he, he is, because he's amazing. It's right up his alley, too. Yeah, he, okay. he likes to get weird. Right. So whenever um, he was uh, locked onto the project, mm -hmm. did you already have, I mean, obviously a lot of the sound is, of course, figured out in post-production, but did you already have, like, an idea for what it would sound like? Oh, absolutely. I, okay. I met with him and talked briefly about it with him. Uh, I knew this was something that he didn't need me to... I didn't need to give him too much because I, mm. I just I lived with him my freshman year. I know that he like I can just say like a few words and he'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, like, right. I got this. Right. So I, you know, I told him that I kind of wanted this organic mechanical as juxtapositioning as those terms both are. I mm. wanted an, or an organic mechanical sort of sound design that would invoke anxiety and kind of invoke this unsettling presence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just I I told them what I wanted and, and I referenced some scores from films that because he was also going to be scoring um, so you know I, I gave him a small library of mm -hmm. things that I thought this film would sound like and how gotcha. I thought this film would sound like and we talked a little bit and, and then we came to terms with what we wanted and mm -hmm. he went off and he actually I had him create the score prior to shooting because I actually wanted to shoot the teaser around the score oh okay it was my first time shooting a trailer for a trailer like instead right. of shooting a film and then picking things out like you're shooting mm -hmm. a trailer for a trailer mm -hmm. so i think him kind of developing the soundscape and score helped me visualize and create what i was going to build off of it gotcha which just made it more cohesive in my opinion wow out. yeah well i'm super excited to see this i can't wait to see what it looks like, and I'd love to have you back on when you're in post-production to see how the process went Absolutely. and everything. Um, real quick, I want to talk about Off the Block. Uh, that's another thing that you were promoing last time mm -hmm. that you were on this. Um, yes, for those yes, who yes. may not have heard that episode, which very well should, um, can you explain what Off the Block is? Yes. Um, Off the Block is a student-run film exhibition that showcases uh, filmmakers and film students within the Savannah area and within SCAD. Mm -hmm. um, my good friend, Liz Crashar, she came up with the idea and she brought me on and we both had such passion for it. And, you know, Kai came on and like the three mm -hmm. of us kind of started to shape this thing and, and build it. And we had it last year and it was super fun and mm -hmm. super successful. We had a bunch of short films. Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of people came through. They got really cool wristbands. Um, and we all just sat in a theater and watched each other's work because that's the most special thing as filmmakers. Right. You know, you make these films to be watched and, and films should be watched in a the theater. So right. we're going to do it again this year. We're trying to get the Lucas Theater yeah. for our trustees, but nothing set in stone. Mm. And yeah, we're, we're looking to start taking submissions as early as late January, mid-February. Wow. Um, 
hoping Liz doesn't hear me say this because <laughs> I haven't communicated that with her yet. But <clears throat> that's what I'm thinking because uh, gotcha. we definitely want to get a head start with stuff. And, um, you know, this is our last year here at SCAD. Yeah. So we want to just make it big and special and you know, a little fancy, you know, like yeah. have people come dressed to impress, dressed right. with class. And it's going to be a big celebration because it's our last uh, it's our last year here. Mm-hmm. It's our last moments for some people all together in the same room. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just want to make it a really big, special, cathartic experience for the filmmaking community here in Savannah. So Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. I'll definitely, I mean, uh, my senior thesis film won't be done before then, but I would definitely love to submit 38 that I shot We'll, we'll be taking submissions so. all the way from winter into the end of spring quarter. Oh, sweet. Um, okay. So we're, we're awesome. taking, like, it's open submissions all the way up until, like, cool. four weeks before the festival. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any idea of when the festival will be? Um, last year we did it, what, June 16th? Probably around the same time, like, okay. right after school ends. Gotcha. Um, we might try and compete with the Senior Showcase. Mm. Um, <laughs> maybe yeah. not. That might be a little mean. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we probably won't do that, but <laughs> we're definitely going to shoot to do it around the end of the school year. That's gotcha. the last hoorah. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, can't wait to attend and submit and, you yeah. know, see it. It'll be a bunch of fun. And um, this has been a great episode. I've really enjoyed picking your brain about your next film. Thank and you, um, can't wait to have you on to talk about how this one goes. Awesome. And we man. can just keep this up forever. I can't. Let's just let me just become a regular. Let me just. Hell yeah. Yeah. You're already there. I'm 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 already here. Yeah. I'm a part of the cult. The tungsten cult. <laughs> exactly. You're part I of feel the welcome. cult. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad because yeah. you are forever welcome. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time out of your busy final schedule for talking to me. No, anytime, and, man. Um, it's a pleasure. Yeah, well, look forward to the next one. Thank you, man.